First Peter chapter one, verses one through thirteen. First Peter one, one through thirteen. If you don't have your pew Bible, I mean a Bible with you, it'll be helpful for you to grab a pew Bible there in front of you. First Peter chapter one, one through thirteen. It's always helpful to see the Word of God for yourself as we read it and also as I talk about it here in a few minutes. And we're, we're sort of turning a corner here in our text, which is really just verse 13. But I want us to have a context for the text this morning. So let's, um, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elected exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That's the text this morning. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's take a few moments to reflect together on God's Word. As I said, these opening 12 verses of Peter's letter are all about what God has done. And what God has done in these, as Peter says in these opening 12 verses, is is mind-stretching, if not mind-blowing. We talked about in previous weeks God's election, God's foreknowledge, God causing us to be born again into a living hope, God bending all the Old Testament message towards Him, God taking the angels and bending them towards the person of Jesus Christ. So God is doing something. Everything is bent toward the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so now in verse 13 we come to this pivot point. And you see it in the word, therefore. So whenever you see a word like that in the text, it, you know it's referring back to what he's just said. And he's moving. He's make some, the, the writer's making some movement here. Therefore serves like a hinge that's opening the door. 
And it's leading from the doctrine of God to the duty of mankind. It's, it's leading from God's calling to our conduct. It's leading from what God has done to what we must do. And Peter is purposefully creating this uh, priority because he wants to make sure that our faith is first firmly founded on what Jesus has done, what God has done. And then he's going to move us to what we must do. He's, he's fixing our eyes on Jesus. And now that we have the right, we're, we, we have the right goal, we have the right thing in our perspective, we have, we're moving towards the right direction, then we can start taking a look around the things that are in our own lives. And really for the rest of the letter, from ver, chapter 1, verse 13, to the end of the book, or the end of the letter, Peter now fixes his gaze on you. He fixes his gaze on me. He says, okay, now that we've firmly established this in this first 12 verses, now we're turning all of the attention towards you and towards me. And I would say this is the point in the letter that the letter becomes the most challenging. Because I think you and I might have a, a friendly debate over what Peter means about election or foreknowledge or assurance of salvation. But, but personally, I don't find those concepts as difficult to wrestle with as what Peter says about my conduct in the rest of the letter. But just, let me just give you a sample. Imagine Peter coming to me this morning and saying, Okay, Paul, we, we've firmly fixed your faith on this one foundation, Jesus Christ. Right? We're, we're standing together in this immovable, unshakable rock of his salvation. Right. Okay. Now, let's look at you, Paul. Chapter 1, verse 16. Paul, you need to be holy because God is holy. 122. Paul, you need to purify your soul and love others with a pure heart. Paul, chapter 2, verse 1. You need to put away all hypocrisy, evil, and slander. Chapter 2, verse 11. Paul, you need to abstain from lust. 2.13. Paul, you need to be subject to every human institution. Chapter 3, verse 7. Paul, you must give the utmost respect to your wife and work to understand her. Paul, you must be willing to suffer for doing good, 317. You, Paul, you, you must show hospitality and don't grumble about it. Paul, you must humble yourself and, and you must not be anxious. See, I find that list a lot more challenging to work with. But that's the rest of the letter. That's what Paul or Peter is saying here. We're, we're, we're now focused in on you. And, and when I started thinking about that, this was the, um, the picture that came to my mind. And maybe this will help you. I don't know if you've seen the television show. And if you haven't, you've missed nothing at all. And so you do not need to run home and watch it. But, and, and if you saw five minutes, you've seen every show. But it's a show called Hoarders. You know this? Really dumb show. So I'm, I'm lowering myself saying I did watch an episode. And really what, what happens in Hoarders is they go to this house that looks sort of normal. Um, but what happens is you go in and you can't even get in the house. Because this person has lived there for some number of years and they've never thrown anything away. 
and they go out and they feel some kind of compulsion to buy stuff. And you, it's really a terrible thing. It's just stacked full of stuff, every room. And you can't even, you can't even really enjoy the home because there's a tiny little path that you have to, there's one little seat for this person and maybe a seat for you. And there's all kinds of debris and all kinds of trash and even rodents are there. It's compromising the house's foundation. And what happens in every episode is a, a relative, a neighbor, a loved one comes in and is concerned about the hoarder and saying, if we don't have some change, something's really going to be disastrous. Maybe your own health is going to be compromised. And so the whole show is trying to get this person who loves the hoarder to say, hey, we got to get rid of some of this stuff. And what's the problem? You and I would walk in, the person who loves the hoarder walks in and says, this is all junk. I mean, there's nothing here that has any value. And so we just need to back up the, the waste management bin right to the front door, and we can basically just shovel all this stuff out into the waste management bin. But the hoarder says what? Oh, no! I might need this. This was... It could be every excuse. They can't get rid of even, you know, a sheet of paper. I would say that you and I are hoarders. Every room in our mind, we have years of accumulated junk. We have all kinds of debris. And we say the same thing. Oh, I can't let go of that. That served me so well. I, I might have need for that one more time. Just a, a very small sampling of the garbage that we have in the rooms of our mind. Lies and lusts, half-truths and trivia, idols and ignorance, greed and gluttony, pride and prejudice, slothfulness, slander, rage, revenge, Ignorance, distractedness, forgetfulness, faulty perspective, inconsistency, dogmatism, vain imagination, miscommunication, anger, bitterness, jealousies, fears, anxiety. That's just a few. That's just first room on the left when we come into your mind. And we even get to everything in that room, in that list. But you see, that's, that's the way our minds are full, our hearts, our souls, our lives are full of you just open the door and there's all kinds of hoarding that we've done, all kinds of inconsistencies that we have in our lives that we've just stuffed our lives full. And when somebody comes in to pull it out, you go, oh, no, no, I can't let go of that. So valuable. But thankfully, we're here those of us here who have accepted Christ, we serve a merciful Savior. And, and He's like the caring person in the television show. He, he comes into our lives and He says, Paul, you are a terrible hoarder. All this stuff in here is just junk. And I've called Waste Management, Paul, and they, they're giving me the largest container available. And I'm going to bring this shovel in and we're just going to shovel out all these rooms in your mind because all of this stuff in here is really just junk that you've accumulated over the years that you think is valuable, that you think it's bringing your life. It's killing you. It's killing you. It's time to take out the shovel. You, you have that picture in your mind? Because that's, that's the picture for the rest of the letter. 
Now, some of you, I can see, I can see from up here, you're taking notes. Visit other churches until First Peter series is complete. I mean, wouldn't you want to say, well, hey, let's go back to those first 12 verses. Knowledge of God, sovereignty, election. Those all seem a little bit farther away, do they not? And Peter understands that we're, we're focusing in now. And I, and I want you to feel that. I want you to feel Peter coming with a giant shovel into your mind saying, hey, we're going to start opening up some rooms here. And most, if not all, the stuff in the rooms, it's got to go. And I know at different points, you're, you're going to say, oh, it's so hard. But it's, it's life-saving. The truth is life-giving. And so what Peter is going to do, he's going to start cleaning this stuff out. And he's going to start reminding us of truth so that the things that we have in our lives, that we have in our minds, actually brings us life. And so this morning we only have time to tackle one verse, one, one very important verse that I think sets up a lot of the rest of the letter. And that's verse 13. So let's just look at that again. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. And set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You can see the three-point sermon. Everybody here can see that. Every good sermon has three points, so Peter understands that. So he gives us three. The first, the three things he wants us to do is he wants to prepare. He wants us to prepare our minds for action. Second, he wants us to be sober-minded. In some of your translations, it might be self-controlled. And third, he wants us to set or fix our hope fully on Jesus. So let's just take those one at a time and begin to, to have God, through this great pastor, Peter, help us to begin to clear out our, our lives. First, prepare your minds for action. In the Greek, that's gird up the loins of your mind. I'm sure you're thinking, I didn't think loins was a word I would be hearing in church today. But here it is. Gird up the loins of your mind. And you understand it probably because you've seen the old, you know, Bible movies or you've seen Gladiator or whatever you've seen that has this sort of that time period. It's it's the guys are walking around and they're in some, something that's more like a robe. It's it's flowing down past their knees towards their feet. And the idea is that, hey, that looks good and maybe serves some kind of purpose. But when you need to spring into action, all this extra stuff's getting in your way. And so he's saying you need to gather all that in and you need to tuck it into your belt because we're ready to move. We're ready to spring into action. And you have too much stuff around. You have too many things in your mind. And we need to, to get rid of that so you are ready for action. And so Peter's saying the first place you need to look at is your mind. You need to, you need to gird up the loins of, of your mind. You, you, you see this picture a couple of important places in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 12, this is the last plague. And here were the instructions given in terms of eating the first Passover meal. God says, you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded. 
with the sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. See, God's saying, I'm coming, I'm on the move, and I need my people to be ready to move. So you, we don't have time to, to get rid of the, all the periphery at, at that moment of action. You've got to be prepared right now. You need to, you need to gird up the, the loins of your mind. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 17, Jeremiah is this young man, and God is coming to Jeremiah and said, I, I know you're a young man, but I've chosen you to give my commands over a long period of time. Jeremiah, I need you to stand in the pulpit for 40 years to a congregation who is going to have a declining interest in what you say, and I need you to be ready to speak my commands. So he says this in the very first chapter, Jeremiah, gird up the loins and arise. Speak to my people all that I commanded. I'm commanding you. It's, it's time, Jeremiah. It's time for action. I'm, I'm on the move, and I need you to come in and be ready. So I need to gird, you to gird yourself up. There's things in your life that maybe serve some sort of value, but you no longer need those around. They're going to inhibit you from moving forward. And Peter is using the same picture. God's on the move, Peter is saying to the, his congregation. And I'm saying to you, God is on the move and he needs people who are ready for action. When, when you're going to go from slavery into holiness, when you're going to go from not knowing about God to knowing about God, when God is bringing people into your life at very particular moments, he needs you. He wants you to spring into action. And so often we're cluttered with a lot of stuff that was just so cumbersome we can't really move forward in the way God is moving because we're, we're, we're trapped. We haven't girded up the, the loins of our mind in our lives. And so we have to ask this question, are you, are you, are you ready for action? I mean, for many of us, it's going to be this week. Somebody's going to come into our house. Somebody's going to come across our office cubicle. Somebody's going to come into our lives. Something's going to happen in our family. And, and the question is, are you ready to spring into action? Or do you say, hey, can you give me a couple of days and I need to gird up my lawn? No, it's right now. Right now. I, I need you to move right now. Or are you, you encumbered by so many things like too much time with TV and Twitter and texting. You, you're, you're cluttered with the Xbox and your iPad. You're, you're stuck with that critical information that comes from Facebook. Like, I was hungry today. Just that critical information. You've got to know it about your 67 friends or 670 friends or however many friends you have. You've got to know it. You've got to be on it. You've got to have that information available. So you've got to spring to action to say, hey, I heard you were hungry last week. You see, we can be so cluttered with stuff. It doesn't have to be evil stuff. It's just stuff that doesn't matter. So, so when, you're, when, when somebody comes across, you're not ready to spring into action for spiritual warfare. You're ready to spring into action to the next trivia game. And so we have to ask ourselves, are, are we feeding on this endless buffet? I call it the buffet of information and entertainment that comes at you 24-7. Or are you feeding on the eternal word of God? 
so that when somebody comes in, you can say, I can give you a word, an eternal word. You're ready to spring into action. Now, there, this would really be worth a whole series but, but I want to just n- name a few ways that I think it can be helpful. Because, again, the picture of the hoarder, another picture I had in my mind is, is like a, are you like a 400-pound foot soldier? You're stuffed in a foxhole. And the captain says, hey, charge! But, you know, you're 400 pounds of trivia. You're 400 pounds of text. You're 400 pounds of Twitter and Facebook. You're 400 pounds of Fox News alerts. And yeah, you got all that information, but that, none of that's going to help in the charge. And so you're kind of lumbering out there going, okay, I'm awfully tired. And how can we prepare our minds for action? Again, a whole sermon series, but one, you can guard your mind from garbage. You've, you've all, you know this. You are what you eat. I mean, you eat a lot of donuts, you look like a lot of donuts, right? Shouldn't say that with our donut ministry out there. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, We demolish arguments. We demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Do you hear the fighting nature of those words? We're demolishing something. We're taking something captive. It's, it's going to require action. It's not something you just sit and say, well, it just happened. It's, no, it's, it's an action-oriented thing. And so... Uh, the commentary, one of the great commentaries on this verse was every power of thought in the pagan world, all the systems of philosophy and opinion, all the powers of reason, memory and individual imaginations come under Jesus. All the emotions and feelings of the heart should be controlled by Jesus. The, the strongholds of philosophy, paganism and sin should be demolished and all the opinions, plans and purposes of the world should be subject to the all conquering Redeemer, that is, Jesus Christ. And the question is, are you guarding your minds from garbage? Are you discerning of what comes in and out of your mind? Do do you take your thoughts captive or do your thoughts take you captive? second thing you can do is replace the trash with truth. You know this, Paul says it in Romans, therefore, I, er, therefore, he's t- had this great doctrinal piece, Romans chapter 1 through 11, chapter 12, therefore, therefore, I'm, now Paul's turning to you as the reader, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of all this mercy that I've unloaded on you in these last 11 chapters, in view of that mercy, this is what I want you to do. I want you to offer your body as a living sacrifice. It's holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by what? You know it. The renewing of your mind. See, renewing means to renovate. And when you're renovating a house, you're saying, I'm going into this house and all the junk in here needs to go out because new things are coming in. 
And so what in your mind needs to be renewed? What in your mind needs to be renovated? A popular speaker, a guy named Charlie Jones, says this, You are the same today as you'll be in five years except for two things. You are the same today as you'll be in five years except for two things, the books you read and the people you meet. So I'm just wondering if you're if you're needing which you are a renovation. The the book, do you have the book in your life and do you have people in your life helping you? That's how renovation takes place. You have those two things working together to say, yes, I've got the I've got the right kinds of people in my life. I've got the word of God in my life, so I'm beginning to replace the trash in my mind with the truth, the treasure of God's word. Finally, in terms of just helping you prepare to think right. What you think is not equal to the work of the Holy Spirit. And just say that again. Let that sink in for a few of you. What you think is not equal to the work of the Holy Spirit. In, in other words, don't believe everything you think. Isaiah says it, you know it, verse chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. You know what that says in the Hebrew? It's very interesting. It's translated, literally says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. See, for a few of us, if we would just allow that one shovel to come into that crowded room in our minds... That, that crowded room in your mind that's so full of debris that allows you to think this. Oh, I'm thinking this, so I'm sure the Lord God Almighty is thinking it too. That's probably not true. And if you just allow that shovel of humility to come in and shovel out all that pride and say, you know what? My thoughts are not God's thoughts. His ways are not my ways. And I want to at least live underneath that banner before I move forward in my thinking. Because, because your automatic thinking response is not necessarily an indication of the work of the Holy Spirit. So we need to prepare our minds. We need to guard our minds from garbage and replace the trash with the truth. And remember that our, our thinking is not equal to the work of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, second point, be sober-minded, be self-controlled. Peter uses the same words later in the chapter, chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded. Last chapter, verse chapter 5, verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. See, see what Peter's saying? We're at the very end of this timeline of history. And so I need you to be self-controlled. I need you to be sober-minded. And right at the end of the timeline, Satan is prowling around like a lion. He's just waiting for people who, who have cloudy thinking to jump on them. And it's a pastoral plea that he's saying we need to be ready for action. And that means we've got to have a sober mind. That, that picture of, of an alcoholic who, who's had a little too much to drink and suddenly their thinking is unbalanced. Their thinking is exaggerated. They think they can do things they can't really do. 
they get sleepy. I've had one too many drinks and now I've got to go to sleep. You see, that, has, that alcohol has an effect on your system. And Peter is not talking about alcohol. He's talking about whatever's causing your system to have an overemphasis on what you think you can accomplish versus what God has done. Ha- having a system that's in shutdown mode because you're always tired. You're not taking care of yourself in some way. Or it's just cloudy. And he's saying you've got to be sober-minded. You've got to be ready to spring into action at a, at a moment's notice. And I don't know if Peter was thinking about this moment, but the moment that I was thinking about for Peter, when he's saying, hey, at, at the moment I need you to be ready to spring into action, make sure your mind isn't cloudy, make sure your body is ready to fight this spiritual battle, came from Mark chapter 14, Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus takes his disciples and he he takes three of them aside and he Peter, James and John. And he says, guys, I'm, I'm deeply distressed and I'm in trouble. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Can you can you three? I mean, I'd love to know what the tone was here for Jesus. But guys, can you three? Can the three of you stand here just for an hour and pray for me? This spiritual battle, you don't even understand how intense it is. And I'm, I'm getting crushed. And I, I just have to have three guys that can spring into action right now just for an hour. Could you pray for me? And Jesus goes a little bit further. He falls to the ground. He prays. If it's possible, this hour might pass from him. And he returns to his disciples who are asleep. And interestingly, Jesus says, Peter. I guess he could have said James or John. He just said Peter. Maybe Peter was the leader of the three. Maybe he thought, gosh, I know Peter's going to do it even if the other two guys don't. Peter, are you, are, you, are you asleep? Could, could you not pray for just one hour? And what's the answer? No, I couldn't. I, w- I wasn't ready to spring into action. I, I maybe had too much to eat. Maybe I had one too many cups of wine. Maybe I hadn't been sleeping well the nights before. Maybe I've got other things in my life like pride that are, are, are just hemming me in. And right at the moment that I need to spring into action for Jesus Christ, the, the Savior, just for an hour, I, I, I can't do it. And so... The question is for you and I, are we ready to spring into action? Could, could you, if I came to you, could you pray for one hour? If someone comes to you in distress, can you, can you, everyone can pray as you're driving down the highway. Oh, Lord, pray for Paul. I'm not saying that's bad, but, you know, sometimes the battle is intense and it needs to be long, it needs to last longer than just a minute. And can you do that? Are you, are you cluttered? Are you encumbered by things that won't allow you to really engage in the spiritual battle, the, the real warfare that goes on in the life and the mind of your own lives and in the lives of other people? 
So we need to prepare our minds for action. We need to be sober-minded. We need to not be cloudy in our, in our bodies or in our minds in some way that, that um, limit us from really springing into action. And finally, we set or we fix our hope fully on Jesus. In the Greek, this is to the end, hope. To the end, hope. Hope in Jesus. In other words, you've got your eyes on the end. Yes, you do know what's going on every day in your lives. But that, those things are not controlling you. What's controlling you is what's at the end. The end, I have my eyes on the very end. And because I have my eyes on the end, that enables me to go through the current circumstances of my life. And Peter's saying, guys, you've got to have your eyes on the end. If you have your eyes down here, no, you're not going to make it. If all your happiness and hope are on your circumstances, one day up, one day down. He's saying we've got to lift our eyes and we have to, to the very end, we have to keep our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus. Paul says it so well in Hebrews chapter 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that that is marked out for us. In other words, it's time for hoarders to unload the stuff that's hindering your forward progress. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him. Hear this? The joy set before Jesus. What's the joy? The end. Back with the Father. Back with the captives that I've brought with me. For that joy, I can, what does it say? Endure the cross. So you're going to be asked to take up your cross and follow. So you've got to have your eyes on the end. Not just on your current circumstances. And so we need to ask, uh, what are our eyes fixed on? Are they fixed on the end or are they fixed on your current circumstances? Are your current passions overwhelm you or patience, hope to the end? Some of you are familiar, close with this, the, the book that John Bunyan wrote, Pilgrim's Progress. It's the, you know, the life of this man named Christian who goes from, he, he flees out of the, the city of destruction and he's on his way to the celestial city. He's on his way to heaven. And it's this long, very difficult journey. And right at the very beginning of the journey, he's taken aside by this wise counselor. And this wise counselor brings him into this room to observe two people. The two people are called passion and patience. And Christian looks at the two people and he asks the counselor, why is passion so restless? And the counselor says, because their governor wants them to wait for the best things. But passion wants all of his best things right now. Then someone came to passion and poured out at his feet a bag of treasures, which which he quickly gathered into his arms with great joy and laughed loudly at patience. But soon passion had wasted everything he had and he had nothing left but an empty bag. And Christian says, oh, now I see. Patience has better wisdom. He waits for the best things. Yes, said the counselor. 
But the present things are so close to your fleshly appetites and eternal things so far from your souls. We're apt to yield to our desires rather than wait for the satisfaction of the eternal. You hear what he's saying? Especially if you're a college student, you're a high school student. Would you hear these words again? The present things are so close to your fleshly appetites. And the things that are eternal so far away. It's so much easier to be passion than it is to be patient. So much easier to say, gotta have all the best things right now. Instead of saying, no, you know what? The best things are at the end. No matter how difficult my current circumstances may be, I can wait and say the best is at the end. So you found out you're a hoarder. <laughs> I'm a hoarder. You got, you got your mind stuffed with inconsistencies and half-truths and jealousy and bitterness and rage and malice and all those things. For, for the next several weeks, this is what we're going to do. This is what Peter's going to do. Knock, knock, knock. It's me. Got the shovel. Got the waste management right here. We're just going to start shoveling out the rooms of your mind. It's going to be so helpful. Not every part will be your part, but man, we're going to come across something. You're going to say, I've been holding on to that like it was life. And Jesus is going to come and say, yeah, it's time to throw it away. It's killing you. It starts by renewing your mind, having your mind set on the right things. So as we begin to address the next layer down and the next layer down, we've got our minds prepared for action. Let's pray together.